Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We get it going on a Tuesday with the New York Post, Paul Schwartz, who covers the New York Giants. So you're up in the press box Sunday, Paul, and it comes down to Brian Dable making a decision. Do I go for two, try to win the game, as opposed to kicking the extra point and probably sending it into overtime? When he made the decision to go for it, did you A think he was nuts, B, I admire his courage, and C, what has he got to lose? Hey, hey, Howard. Well, I mean, first of all, I was thinking this is the story. You know what I mean? This is the story. Um, I was surprised, yes. I mean, uh, look, analytics say that going for two is, um, you know, almost a 50-50 proposition. Um you know, depends on what players you have. Sometimes it's better than that. You have to uh, figure out the flow of the game. The offense was playing well then. Saquon was running well then. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised. And, um, you know, it was definitely a statement. I mean, there was no question it was a statement. Um, win or lose, it was a statement. If, if they don't, if he, they come up short, first of all, I wanted to see what the play was. You know, as, I'm, as you said, I'm in the press box, Howard. I'm watching it. And, you know, you kind of look up. I see they score a touchdown. Then I'm watching. And I don't see the, the, the kicking team running onto the field. And I see kind of kind of the offensive guys kind of milling around. And I kind of thought the offensive guys were, always, were almost kind of trying to convince their coach, look, let's stay out here, let's go for it. But that was not the case at all. It was Dayball basically pointing up, you know, two fingers saying, stay out there, we got to play. Uh, uh, Brian Dable said he wanted to see what the play was from Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator. He liked the play. So they did it. Um, it was clearly the moment of the game um you know they almost lost it on a uh, field goal in uh you know uh, 66 seconds later but um yeah i knew that was the pivotal point in the game and i just said holy cow this is quite a moment for a guy in his first game ever as a head coach win or lose this is going to be a defining moment for him i'll tell you i'm sitting there watching the game with my wife my wife says to me when it's pretty clear he's going for it she said what do you think i said he's got nothing to lose if he doesn't make it, they're going to go, uh, okay, he didn't make it. Uh, let's face it, he took a better team down to the wire. Tennessee was favored to win the game. But I think equally, look, the story, you're right, is going for the two-point conversion. But I think maybe the second story is they did a hell of a job on Derrick Henry. He did not kill them. Well, the whole game, look, I mean, the, the whole game, it was it was 13 nothing at halftime, and, and, and it was shaping up to be a typical Giants game we've seen in the last few years, right? That defense is not great, but they're, you know, they're gritty enough, they're, they're cohesive enough, they make enough plays where they're kind of keeping their team in the game. And let's face it, it wasn't 3 nothing at halftime, it was 13 nothing, And the offense is really poor and really doing nothing. And so, you know, that's the way so much of the last seven or eight years have been. 
And, um, you know, the offense got better in the second half. The defense kept doing what they were doing. Don't forget, when the Giants went ahead, um, you know, the Titans came right back and scored a touchdown fairly easily. And I'm like, oh, that's another story for today is that, look, when push came to shove, when the Giants threatened, the Titans were right there. The defense was not good enough. But then the defense, uh, you know, kind of regrouped. And, I mean, not really regrouped because they never were out of it. They were playing fine. Look, Derrick Henry, 21 carries, 82 yards, averaging less than four yards a carry. His longest run was 18 yards. You will take that against the Titans every single day. Thursday night, Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night. You will take that against them. He didn't wreck the game. You know, he is he is the only game wrecker they have on offense, and he didn't wreck the game. So, yes, that was a very good job by the Giants defense on the ground. No question about it. He's Paul Schwartz, covers the Giants for the New York Post. Let's go to the Giants and Saquon Barkley, and we've been waiting for Saquon Barkley to have a tremendous game, and he did. 164 yards, had one touchdown, uh, made the big play at the end. Uh, you know, obviously the Giants will go far if Saquon Barkley uh, gives that kind of production, and I'm not saying he's got to get 164 yards every week, but clearly the focus is on Daniel Jones. Jones completed a high percentage of passes, 17 of 21, for 188 yards, threw a couple of touchdowns, did have the one pick, and if everybody's been critical of Daniel Jones, it's one thing, turning the ball over. All right, he had the one interception, but aside from that, uh, let, let's face it, he knows what he's up against. They didn't pick up his, his fifth-year option. He knows this is a make-or-break year for him. No question. And for Saquon Barkley, don't forget, both of those guys are in the last year of their contracts. The Giants did pick up the fifth-year option on Saquon. That's this year. This is year number five. So both the starting quarterback and the starting running back have no contract for next year. This is a contract year for them. Um, I would say in game one, Barkley, <laughs> um, you know, Barkley did what Aaron Judge is doing this year, right? You know, a contract year. Of course, um, Barkley wasn't uh, offered a huge contract like uh, Aaron Judge was. But, um, you know, Barkley, um, you know, sensational debut for 2022 with this new regime. Daniel Jones, okay, solid, right? Not great. Um, interception was bad. You know, uh, clearly the interception in the end zone looking for Barkley troubled uh, Brian Dayball. You know, he, he kind of gave it to Daniel a little bit on the sideline after that. Um, you know, five sacks, I'd say uh, two of them were probably his fault. That's not great. But very, as you said, very accurate with mostly a short passing game 17 of 21 other than the long touchdown pass you know 65 yards to sterling shepherd catch and run um a lot of safe stuff a lot of dump offs a lot of um you know things that you should complete at a high percentage so i would say for saquon the arrow very much up uh daniel i would say the arrow kind of neutral right now as far as what it means about next year but look the most important thing right what did bill parcells always tell Phil Sims, the most important stat and the important thing for a quarterback is did the team win the game? The team won the game, so Daniel has to get some props for that. So now, look, let's not look ahead, but let's anyway. They got Carolina this week. Baker Mayfield, uh, in his debut uh, last Sunday, uh, was okay. Nothing great. Carolina loses. Uh, and then uh, they lose to Cleveland. And then in week three, they got the Dallas Cowboys who lost Dak Prescott on Sunday. I get. I, I think Jerry Jones should be a stand-up comedian because this morning he said um, that, uh, you know, we're going to survive and we'll be a terrific team as we go forward. Now, w wait a minute. You weren't a terrific team before you lost your quarterback. What makes them think that they're going to be a terrific team now? 
Yeah, um, look, I, I, I annually am disappointed in the Cowboys. I think they have talent. Um, I, I picked the Eagles to win a division last year. You know, I think the Eagles are good, really good, um, especially if their quarterback is really good, and game one he was. Um, the Cowboys, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, one of the reasons to believe in the Cowboys is you think that they have the best quarterback in the division, and um, now that quarterback's out for six to eight weeks. So, um, look, I'm not ready to throw... The um, the Cowboys completely under uh, the bus, um, but look if you want if you want to look even further, Howard, the Giants have three straight home games. That's very strange in the NFL mm-hmm. against the Panthers. They lost Week One. Then Monday Night Football against the Cowboys. They lost Week One, and then a Sunday game against the Bears, who won Week One, but no one thinks the Bears are much good. So you have three straight home games, and you can start thinking, man, maybe the Giants can go three and one. Uh, dare we say four and I I think that is um, it's not fool's gold, but I think look the Giants. It was great that they won the game in in Nashville. I didn't think they would win. I didn't pick them to win. You know that's a game that I think everyone had an L on their schedule. Even the most optimistic Giant fans I think had an L for that game. Even the people who think that they can win eight nine games had an L for that game. So their favorite against the Panthers. I think that's that's a um, you know a spot where. The Panthers are going to come in, and they're certainly thinking, you know, heck, we can we can beat the Giants. There's no question about it. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, 10 carries for only 33 yards in that game. So, um, you know, if the Giants can do that, they'll have a great chance to win. If the Giants can do what they did to McCaffrey, what they did to Derrick Henry, I think they'll have a great chance to win. So, um, but look, the Giants are, are, are not a dominant team by any stretch. They won a game. It was great. I'm not going to downplay that in any way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? They won a game. I didn't think they would win, but... You know, to, to just now think that they're going to win these games because they're home and the teams they're playing aren't great or don't have their quarterback, I think is is a recipe to have them, you know, lose a game and everyone's going to say they were caught looking ahead. Hey, uh, Paul, talk about Thibodeau. Um, I mean, this, this guy made a lot of uh, conversation, uh, a lot of discussion about him during the preseason. Uh, he seems like the right guy for the marketplace, uh, you know, seems to be very outspoken, He's uh, got a lot of talent. Uh, didn't see too much of him on Sunday. Well, he was out. He didn't play. Right. I mean, he, he's, right. He, he's got he, he's got a knee. knee um, he's got a, a, an MCL sprain, and um, you know he was certainly you know didn't practice all week. Just did a little bit of really not even individual work. So you know I, I would probably say it's less than fifty fifty that he plays this week because you know I need to see him on the field and see see him in practice on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe he will be. Um, it, it, that's a four-week injury usually. Uh, the Giants said three to four weeks. Um, it was three weeks. I think it was 20 days since he got hurt on uh, this past Sunday, so that was three weeks. So it'll be uh, a full month uh, this Sunday when they play the Panthers. So I think he has an outside chance to play. Um, yeah, he's a big personality, but, you know, he was very businesslike all summer. I mean, you know, when he speaks to us, he says some good things. But, um, you know, it was very businesslike, didn't miss anything until he got hurt. Um you know, in the last preseason game, um, you know, I liked what I saw from him. He definitely got a quick first step. I think some big physical tackles, you know, I think his bull rush is going to need some work. I think he needs to, you know, have, have his – he has a move and a counter move. I think he has to get, you know, a counter to his counter move. Uh, but, look, they all do. You know, almost all these pass rushes have an adjustment in the NFL. I thought it was very funny, Howard, after the game, um, a couple of us went to talk to him, and he was like – really animated and like, oh man, that was something. Oh man, I was nervous. I was watching. I was, you know, I, I was, he said, I, I went to Dave's after the game and I was like, 
man, I need a cigarette after that one. I mean, he was, he, he was funny. You know, he was, you could tell, you know, he's played some big names, big games in college at Oregon, but you know, he was into that first game and he was on the sideline in Nashville and uh, he was feeling it, you know? So I think he's just itching to get back out there. He was, um, he was sweating it along just like other giant fans, but he just had a little better uh, seat for it. We talked Paul about uh, the first four weeks of the season game five. They got to go to green Bay. That's never easy. Uh, Green Bay uh, is under criticism right now. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was kind of rough on his receivers. Uh, I don't know what he was expecting. You lose a player like Devontae Adams, uh, and then they didn't have Lazard either. So they uh, their receiving core was decimated, to say the least. But yet, you go into Green Bay, a tough place to win, and then come home and play Baltimore. And we saw what Baltimore did on Sunday to the Jets. Uh, Lamar Jackson was solid. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's... He's doing the Aaron Judge thing. He's uh, he's throwing it all in the middle for a contract. He has a big uh, big year. Then that number goes up. No question, no question. Look, I mean, look, the schedule is very fair. Um, the Green Bay game is actually in London, so I think that kind of helps the Giants a little bit because, look, not that Lambeau Field would be uh, the Arctic frigid tundra in October, but it is Green Bay and it is Lambeau Field. Uh, they're playing in Tottenham Stadium, so I think there will be a lot of Packer fans there. I think there'll be a lot of Giants fans there too. You know, so looking ahead, um, the Giants have gone to London twice in uh, before this, and and neither team, neither time they they played a good team. They played the Dolphins the first time. That was the first ever game in London in 2007. The Giants won that game, and then they played the Rams when the Rams were not good at a rugby stadium, Twickenham, and they won that game too. So this, you know. The Packers, yes, the Packers did not look good in week one, but they're a good team. Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. So, um, you know, looking ahead, that will be the first time the Giants play, you know, two teams that really, you know, play a team that really travels well. You know, like I said, the Packers are a national team. The Giants are a national team, although their success has not been has not been great the last decade, certainly. Um, look, the schedule is fair. I mean, you know, sometimes you look at a team, Howard Wright, and you say, man, you know, I think they're okay, but their schedule is just brutal. Um, you know, it, they they didn't do many favors by starting in Nashville, and they ended up winning. So now they have three home games, as we said. Then they have to go to London. So you know, it's set up for the Giants to be okay. But like I said, you have to play the games. That you know, look, the Giants have played a game like their opener many times the last few years. They haven't been blown out all the time, and. The Titans line up for a 47-yard field goal. In this day and age in the NFL, that's what, 75%. If he makes that field goal, the Giants are crushing, you know, last-second losers again. And, and, you know, no one's dancing in the locker room and no one's feeling great about it. No one's burying the team, but no one's feeling great about it. So it's week to week. The games are close. It comes down to a lot of things. Look at the uh, Monday night game with the crazy play calls and, you know, mm. settling for a 63-yard field goal. I mean, these games are crazy. They're like little mini-dramas unto themselves, and um, everything's scrutinized. So you just got to hope when the ball bounces, it bounces your way. And you also got to hope that you have a great player like Saquon Barkley on your side, and you really got to hope that your head coach has his head on straight and, you know, it at least has given you a chance to win the game. Hey, Paul, my old broadcast partner when I was doing the Jets, Dave Jennings, the late Dave Jennings, I would say to him, uh, what is your impression of this or what's your impression of that? And he would always say, I don't do impressions. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you, your impression of Brian Dable. He threw the dice on Sunday. It came up seven. That's good for him because what it does, just as an outside observer, 
is that that locker room now believes in him. If they didn't before, they do now. And if they did before, they really believe in him now. So whatever he says now, it would seem has more impact. Yes, I mean, any kind of street cred a, a coach can gain after only one win, Brian Dable got all of it, right? And look, his team didn't go out and score 40 points. You know, he's an offensive guy. And, you know, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was like, holy cow, this guy's a genius here. His offense is incredible. But, yes, when you when you – you know, buy into your team like that and say, we're going for it. If, you know, we get the ball and we score, we're going for it because I believe in you guys and, you know, I believe we can win this game. You know, that, that, that is lights out for, for everybody. So there's no question about that. You know, you know what my impression is of, of Brian Dable, Howard? It's that, yes, he's a first-year head coach, but don't forget the two first-year head coaches they, they hired before this, Ben McAdoo, 38 years old. You know, this was, this was all new to him. Um, then they had Pat Shermer. He was an experienced coach, so I'm not counting him. Then you have Joe Judge, 38 years old, same age as McAdoo. So these guys were, were fast risers who rose through the ranks quickly and got a job where, for, quite frankly, most people said, really? You're hiring that guy? Um, Brian Dable's 47. You know, he's been in, in the NFL 25 years. He's been a coordinator. He's been a defensive assistant. He's been a receivers coach. He's been an offensive coordinator. You know, he's been everything. He's been fired. He's been on staffs that have been fired. He's been in a lot of different places. He's mostly been with the – he was with the Patriots twice, okay? And, and then he left the Patriots, and then he came back to the Patriots. So that says something about what Bill Belichick thinks of him. But just like Joe Judge, we said he is a Belichick disciple. Because he spent eight years in the NFL. They were all with New England and Belichick. No one really looks at Brian Dable and says, oh, he's from the Belichick coaching tree. Mm-hmm. He is, but he's from. A, he's got a lot of different branches. And so that's a long way of me saying that Brian Dable is a first-year head coach, but he's 47. He's a mature guy, and he's more ready for this than those other two guys were who the Giants, you know, McAdoo and Judge, because he's he's been humbled. He's had successes. He's had failures. So he's kind of... You know, he was more ready to say, I'm going for two and I can live with the consequences. If I looked at the list of surprises from this weekend, I would obviously, the Giants would be right near the top, beating the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Philadelphia held off Detroit to win 38-35. But uh, you look at some of those other games, what surprised me a little bit, I think, was the Bears beating San Francisco. Uh, and then you look at Kansas City humiliating the Arizona Cardinals, a huge game for Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they're asking him anymore, does he miss Tyreek Hill? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, look, I mean, look, looking at the schedule, let me, let me see what, what surprised me. Or didn't, I mean, look, the Bears being the 49ers very much surprised me. Um, now, look. The 49ers have a new quarterback, and, and you say, why, why, didn't they, you know, why didn't they just get rid of a dump um, Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, this is the reason why, because Trey Lance might not be the answer. And there are people in this league, you know, people around the league, Howard, that think that the 49ers have the best roster in football other than the quarterback, okay? Right. You take 52 players, and they would say, I love their roster. Now we'll see about Trey Lance. Well, one weekend, we don't like what we see from Trey Lance, so, you know, most people didn't think that Jimmy G could win a Super Bowl now with Trey Lance, so you know that that's an issue. Um, look, the Bengals, um, the Bengals lose a game. They were in the Super Bowl last year, but it's the Steelers, and you know that's a division game. Uh, Lions scoring 35 points surprised me. The Eagles scoring 38 really did not. 
Uh, and I, I'm really not high on the Patriots at all. I mean, I just don't know what they're doing on offense. You know, it seems like they just feel they're smarter than everyone, and we don't have to really hire an offensive coordinator. We don't have to bring in skilled players at running back and receiver. And uh, we have a nice young quarterback in Mac Jones, but we can figure it out. And they didn't figure it out. I mean, they scored seven points. So, um, you know, we'll see. If, is this the year that, the, uh, you know, Belichick and the Patriots really, you know, really are in a downswing? I'm with you. Uh, I, I'm not high on him. I, I wasn't before the season started. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, and then Mac Jones, we don't know his status with a back injury. Hey, Paul, appreciate your insight. And most importantly, you stay safe. All right, Howard. Good talking to you. Take care. Same here. Here's Paul Schwartz of the New York Post. Covers the Giants and has been for a very long time. Does a hell of a job. I, uh, I look at, I look at certain things and, 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 some things stand out and some things don't. But one thing that stood out to me was, and I mentioned it before to Paul, was that you're talking about a coach that put his neck on the line and took a shot going for two. It's not a high percentage shot, but he came away and he got it done. Good for him. Good for Brian Dable. Good for the Giants. Let's uh, talk to a guy that had a very interesting, if not bizarre game on Sunday He'll join us now. Hey, Howard, how are you? Mr. Eagle, how are you, sir? He's Ian Eagle of CBS and uh, the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, I think if you gave him a chance, he'd probably do the bocce playoffs one year. If they're willing to pay my fee, I could be Mr. Bocce, yes. Do you know how they keep scoring that game? <laughs> I, I feel like this is the setup of a Catskills joke. No, how do they keep score? No, you could tell it's a Catskill joke if I have my hand on my hip. Right? <laughs> uh, talk about... All the, right, Shecky. Yeah, talk about the bizarre game. Uh, I was waiting for you to go on the field and try to kick a field goal on Sunday in the in the uh, Pittsburgh game. Uh, I, I Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game. First of all, I was very impressed with the Pittsburgh defense, the way they manhandled the offensive line of Cincinnati. Uh, Joe Burrow had a nightmare game with four interceptions, one fumble, and they harassed him all day long. And generally, I'm not going to make a general statement, but I, I will anyway. Somebody once told me a long time ago, you see a quarterback throw more than 50 passes, generally they lose the game. Do you believe that? Yeah, it means that you're probably in desperation mode. And what I felt from the word go the other day was Pittsburgh was locked in defensively. They had a great game plan. They clearly felt like they had an advantage against a retooled offensive line. Cincinnati put a lot of resources into changing that offensive line. They recognized last year that was a serious weakness of the team, even though they went to the Super Bowl. They have one remaining starter on that line from last year they got a bunch of experience and guys that have won in other places they spent big money to do it but boy were they overmatched in this first game and look when you've got watt and you've got hayward and you've got fitzpatrick you know you've got a defense that's going to keep you in games the difference is they can actually win games with their defense last year i thought they remained competitive in games. They made the playoffs shockingly at the end of the year. Ben Roethlisberger got a chance to extend his career by a week going into the postseason. But you never felt that they were a serious threat because that defense was not 
at the same level that it had been in previous years. Now there's this different vibe around this defense. Keith Butler had been there forever as the defensive coordinator. He did excellent work over time, basically taking over for Dick LeBeau in that position. He retired. Terrell Austin takes over the reins. Brian Flores comes over from Miami as the head coach and now is a linebacker coach, defensive assistant, and you could just feel a difference in how they were going about their business. And it's not just the guys that I mentioned earlier. It was a bunch of other guys that continued to play key roles for them. And I think that's a really good sign for Mike Tomlin when Alex Highsmith is having the impact that he had. Miles Jack played like he had been there for the last five years. It was his first game as a Steeler. Robert Spillane stepping in, playing valuable reps. Devin Bush looking more like the rookie that we saw a few years ago than the guy coming off injury. So really good sign for Pittsburgh that uh, they got it done. For Cincinnati, it's back to the drawing board. I think they'll be fine. They're going to figure it out. It just was a really weird and wacky day that came down. Howard, you've done a lot of football games in your life. It's rare that it comes down to a long snapper. Mm -hmm. And this game did. Like, clearly, they missed the skills of their long snapper. And because of that, they had to send in a backup tight end to do it. Everything in the operation was thrown off because of it. Well, here's the, the, the Pittsburgh win over Cincinnati. I put it at the, the Giants win over Tennessee, particularly the way they did it going for two. Uh, and credit Brian Dable. Uh, I, I'm watching that game and I'm saying, my, and my wife says to me, what do you think of this, of this call? And I said, I'm all for it. He's got nothing to lose. If he doesn't make it, people will say, well, you know, he went for it. Give him credit for that. Well, he did make it. And I think the result of that, that locker room, if they didn't, if they, well, I'm sure they believed in him before. They really believe in him now. Yeah, Brian Dable has got a, a sterling reputation for a reason. He has a way of connecting with his players. He's done that from his time with the Jets, his time with Cleveland, his time with New England, his time in Alabama. That's always been part of the scouting report. And I think from the outside looking in, it's it's very easy to second guess. It's very easy to Monday morning quarterback and say a coach should have done this, a coach should have done that. In the moment, you've got to have a real feel for what your team needs. And he recognized that the greatest thing that could come out of week one for them was that they believe in one another and that their coach believes in them. Mm -hmm. So you're right, Howard. If they don't make it, look, he's going to take the heat. He's going to get the criticism. It would have been his head coaching debut and he would have been hearing it from all sides. And we're seeing what that feels like for Nathaniel Hackett right now and the Denver Broncos right. for the way they handled the last stretch of that game, going for the, the field goal, allowing way too much time to come off the clock, not letting Russell Wilson go out and make something happen and settling for a 64-yarder that obviously was not good and Seattle wins the game and Hackett's answering all the questions. Brian Dable, on the other hand, this permeates throughout – your facility. You show up Monday morning, everybody that works for the Giants is now upbeat. Every mm -hmm. one of the yeah. players now is injected with a feeling of confidence that this season could be different. And I, I think in the NFL more than any other sport, you can use that emotion 
and it can help you from week to week to week. Look, you've got to have talent. You've got to have the right scheme. You've got to make good decisions as a head coach. But I do think that a, a move like this can set a tone for a team. And the Giants, we might have this conversation three months from now, Howard, and say, wow, that opening season decision had a huge effect on the kind of year that the Giants put together. That, that's how impactful it might be. Hey, hey you know, let's not get carried away, and I'm not going to, but they got Carolina this week, who lost to Cleveland, uh, you know, obviously a revenge game for Baker Mayfield. But then they got Dallas, no Zach, yep. no Dak Prescott. And then they've got Chicago, who upset San Francisco on Sunday. So, I mean, they've got three more winnable games. But before I get ahead of myself, dealing with the Pittsburgh game, that's the first time we haven't seen Ben Roethlisberger under center in, what, 12 years? Uh, I mean, his, his Mitch Trubisky, uh, I don't think he had anything to prove, but he sure held up his end. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Howard, when you do these games at the network level, you get to meet with the head coach, you meet with three or four players, and you don't record it, there's no camera, there's no microphone, you're trying to have some genuine conversations, and you hope to sprinkle in some of that over the course of the broadcast. So in previous years, for whatever reason, I always seem to get one Bears game a season on CBS. They would, you know, maybe have one or two and it would be one of those AFC-NFC matchups with an AFC team usually going into Chicago. And we'd met with Mitch Trubisky. And I normally walked away from those meetings feeling that Mitch was a little tight, and he certainly had something to prove consistently because of where he was drafted, and the fact that he wasn't getting a whole lot of respect in Chicago, and the fact that they weren't winning consistently. He was not a bust by any stretch. He just didn't live up to the number two draft billing that comes with being that highly selected. Mm -hmm. So he, he leaves, he goes to Buffalo. He's an understudy for Josh Allen for a year, and you don't really hear from him. He just does his job, goes about his business. He recognized that it was a transition year. Nobody was interested in him being a starting quarterback. And then, boom, Pittsburgh jumps on it. The second free agency begins. Before they even uh, decide to draft a quarterback, Mitch Trubisky is in. And from some people that I've talked to, they already made up their mind he was going to be the number one guy. They felt that good about it, that he was going to fit what they were trying to do. Now, fast forward. We meet with him on Saturday when the Steelers get into town, and it's a completely different Mitch Trubisky. Really? His demeanor is different. He's smiling. He's positive. He's loose. He's excited. And now the curiosity, at least within our crew, with Charles Davis and Evan Washburn, is, okay, is it going to translate? Is he going to look more comfortable on the field, not pressing to try to make something happen? When you've got the defense that they have, here's the bottom line. Don't make the big mistake. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. And that's exactly what happened. He made some plays in the fourth quarter and in overtime that helped them win the game. Bizarre win but a win nonetheless and in the end he did what they asked him to do and the offense is a little different it's a lot more bootleg it's a lot more on the move get out of the pocket get things out to the perimeter to force the defense to make a decision instead of Ben Roethlisberger just standing in the pocket trying to get rid of it and buying him enough time so that he can get a clean pass off he was a statue as we know in the last few years so I think there are 
is some optimism in Pittsburgh that they can grow into something offensively. The run game has to get better. That's still an issue. It was an issue last year. They have a dynamic back in Najee Harris, but they just have not been able to create a whole lot of space for him to work. If that improves, the Steelers could actually be a surprise team. I know that's shocking to say because you usually assign uh, excellence with the Steelers and Mike Tomlin. But so many people were down on them this year because of the turnover, and they might be okay when the smoke clears. If Mitch Trubisky can handle his business and look at this as the opportunity that it is a second chapter for him in his career, uh, this, this might be a really nice story with Pittsburgh, but it's still on him. Uh, there, there's going to come a moment, and there are going to be games where he's going to have to do a little bit more than he did this past week, and the question is whether or not he can shoulder that kind of responsibility. He's CBS's Ian Eagle, uh, who called the uh, Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game on Sunday. Real quick sidebar story. A few years back, there's a very famous restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, called Magnolia's. They're noted for their fried chicken. Uh, my wife, Phyllis, and I went in there uh, one afternoon, and who do we run into but Mike Tomlin and his family? So we, we got to talking and all of that. He says, what brings you here? And I said, uh, well, I knew you were going to be here. He goes, no, really. <laughs> so I said, I heard of the reputation of this place and I had to come see it. How about you? He said, same thing. A year later, I'm doing a game and we had a meeting with Tomlin. I bring him a box of chicken. And he said, is this from Magnolia's? And I said, yes. He looked at it. He goes, no, it's not. I said, do you th- where do you think I got Magnolia's chicken at such short notice? <laughs> so oh, I, I, be- I became a big... He's the best guy to talk yep. to. He's the most forthright. He's uh, the most honest. He just gets it. Obviously, I've dealt with these production meetings now for literally 25 years. Uh, he's, he's at a different level. He just understands the job. He understands what we need out of it. And... Uh, he's mastered the art of doing that. I mean, if he wanted to be a broadcaster, if he wanted to be a studio analyst, he would be the best guy doing it. I truly believe that. That's that's how impressive he is, and yep. he's just got a way with words and a way with the language that that brings you in. I can see why guys respond to him in the way that that they have. He he's got that it factor in that position. No doubt, no doubt. I became a fan, uh, and even before that. Uh, before I let you go, I, I, I got to bring up the uh, the whole Kevin Durant mess since he also broadcast the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, initially, we felt that Kevin Durant was on his way out somewhere, uh, and then he changed his mind. Was it the owner that changed his mind? What do you know? What I think really happened is a lot of stuff takes place on your cell phone, on your social media platforms, and then you actually have to go into a room and deal with it. You have to look someone in the eye. You have to articulate what it is that you're feeling or what's bothering you. There's a meeting of a minds with the owner of the team, the GM of the team, the coach of the team. And now you got to really hash it out. And I believe they never got to that point during the off season until much later and when they finally did there probably was some understanding of hey this is the plan this is how we see it developing this is how we see you benefiting in it and 
it can work, but you have to communicate. And that's both sides. That's just not the, the Kevin Durant side. That's the net side. Maybe it, it hit a boiling point, And sometimes when you hit those boiling points, you can come out of it with a greater understanding of where it, each side is coming from. And I think that finally happened. Everything else at that point had been a phone call, a tweet, uh, communication through his agent. They finally got in a room and talked it through. Mm -hmm. Is it salvageable? Clearly, he's still on the team. Kyrie Irving's still on the team. And they're going to make one go of this thing. And Howard, you know this. You've been around it forever. What's the ultimate deodorant in sports? Winning. If you win, a lot of this stuff goes away. So if the Nets get off to a hot start, if you look up and they're winning games and they're having fun and they're dapping each other up and they're putting highlights together, all of this rhetoric begins to fade. If they struggle in the first 15, 20, 25 games, then the other stuff doesn't go away. If anything else, it intensifies. So I think this is a stay tuned, but clearly they got to a point where they could at least acknowledge where each side was coming mm -hmm. from and the idea that it was irreparable was probably a little bit off just based on all the speculation can they compete with the elite in the east and by that i mean boston milwaukee miami and let's not forget cleveland the addition of donovan mitchell and some of the other moves they've made all of a sudden the cavaliers become relevant um can they compete with the top four in the east Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they're healthy and they're whole, yes, they can. How Ben Simmons fits in, uh, Joe Harris coming back from injury, Curry now uh, returning from what was a nagging injury, Kyrie Irving on a contract year, a motivated Kevin Durant. He's motivated. He's a, he's a baller to begin with, so I'm never worried about him going out and performing at a high level. It's really more just trying to follow along the mood and whether or not he believes he's in a winning situation. But once it's game time, that's never a question mark. All of that is very real. But if we're looking at what this team could be, yes, they, they can compete with any of those teams. Interesting. Well, I'm watching you the other day. And they had a shot of you guys in the booth. And I looked at my wife and I said, damn. Ian's one of those guys that never gets old. <laughs> no, it's Benjamin Button-esque. I don't know. I made a, I made a deal with, uh, with uh, someone upstairs. I said, look, you can give me height or you can give me unlimited look of youth. And uh, I chose B. Good choice. Oh, always great talk. Oh, always great talking to you, my friend. You you, and you stay best, safe. Buddy. You stay okay, safe. Man. Thanks. See ya. He's Ian Eagle, CBS Sports, and the Brooklyn Nets. We go back a long ways. I was doing the radio for the Nets when he was a television broadcaster. We had a lot of fun nights uh, during uh, dinners and, and, and the like. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that um, I'm delighted that I met along the way, along with, man, a lot of guys. A lot of guys, and women, too. I, I, as an example, uh, when I was doing Sunday Night Football, and ESPN was the TV partner. I'd have conversations with Susie Culver before the game. Susie's a winner. She's a good person, smart, knowledgeable, 
delighted, de- delighted to know her. Delighted to know Susan Waldman, who broadcast the Yankee games. Uh, a lot of good people in this business. That's why it irritates me when I read critics and critics, as an example, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman started out together last night for the first time since taking over to ESPN's Monday Night Football. I'm reading critics this morning, nitpicking at some things that Aikman said and that Buck said. One thing about critics, they could never do what we do. That's why they're critics. And keep this in mind. When they sit and write a story, they can look over what they've written and make editorial changes. When you're a broadcaster, what comes out of your mouth, it's it. That's it. You don't get a chance to change what you said. So critics can think what they want and say what they want. But it's harder to do what we do as broadcasters than what they do because they get a chance to change words, to change thoughts, to change ideas. We don't. Once it's out of our mouth, it's over. Having said that, thanks for being a part of Howard David Live on a Tuesday, and you stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.